This is the morning brief from the Economic Times. PCG's climate and sustainability practice focuses on partnering with businesses and governments to help them transform commitments into action and build a decarbonized more sustainable world driving technological and economic transformations to realize sustainable competitive advantage to know more visit www.bcg.com India's biggest corporate names are pouring in money into green initiatives Today Mukesh Ambani's Reliance Industries Limited acquired RDC Solar Holdings from China National Blue Star for 771 million dollars. Tata Power has actually signed a deal with BlackRock and you know they are looking to raise around 4000 crores for a their renewable energy business. Well the Adani Group fundraise has been announced now its capital will be infusing close to 15400 crore rupees in three Adani Group companies. When the Indian government setting out stiff sustainability targets last year वर्ष 2070 तक भारत नेट जीरो का लक्ष्य हासिल करेगा Indian corporates are on a fast uptake Over the next 8 to 10 years India's richest men Mukesh Ambani and Gautam Adani plan to invest close to 130 billion dollars combined on green projects Renew Power the largest renewable company in the country has targeted a spending of 9 billion dollars by 2025 in its projects Foreign investors are also backing these green initiatives with green backs Billions of dollars are pouring in green bonds are getting popular and the government is talking about a climate bank But is this enough to fund India's ambition of net zero emissions by 2070? Let's find out. It's Thursday, the 28th of April. From the Economic Times, I'm Kiran Somwanji. You're listening to Funding India's Green Ambitions on the Morning Brief. This episode is part of the Economic Times Sustainability Forum initiative in partnership with Boston Consulting Group. In this episode I speak to Mr Anirban Mukherjee managing director and partner PCG India Mr Pramod Kumar head of investment banking Barclays Bank India and my colleague Kalpana Pathak senior assistant editor at the Economic Times Together we discuss the rising investor interest in the sustainability space the challenges and the solutions Even as the summer heat and power cuts remind us how precarious is India's power situation the country's renewable space has been heating up so i asked mr mukherjee how he sees the funding landscape for india's sustainable future shaping up i think this is a developing story not just for india but across the world how do we fund the climate journey the net zero journey of different countries I think there is over the last uh, few years especially since Paris there has been an increasing amount of consciousness acknowledgement and intent that has come through if i look at the 2070 net zero journey for india the numbers are of course staggering that we are looking at a 10 trillion dollar investment as we look closer at the ndc still 2030 the numbers start getting a little bit more manageable so if i focus towards the next 8 to 10 years what do we need of the Amount of investment that is estimated uh, required 
we feel there's about a $200 billion per year investment in net zero that has to come through. I'll come to how do we plan for it, but in the current setup, we are less than possibly 10 to 15% of that target is where it is coming in. A large part of that from private channels, some from public sources. So I think at this point in time, we need a lot more sources to come in. The sources which are currently driving the financing, fundamentally what you're looking at here is to reduce the cost of the funds. Because unlike other investments which have happened in the past, which are more towards expanding business or making businesses more profitable, this is the investments that we're looking for right now is on slightly untested emerging technologies for the sake of climate. So by definition, they will be riskier. So these kind of structures, policies, uh, green bond, climate banks, different policy measures, all of these have to gear towards to start making these financing less riskier for the funds to start with. Earlier this week, India's Power Minister Raj Kumar Singh pitched for a credit guarantee fund and a renewable energy bank to boost investments in renewable energy in developing and underdeveloped countries. Another interesting concept is that of green bonds. They are debt instruments that are fast gaining currency in India's renewable space. Here's how my colleague Kalpna deconstructed the concept of these bonds for us. Green bonds are fixed income financial instruments which are used to fund projects that have positive environmental or climate benefits. They are like any regular bond with the key difference that the money raised from investors is used exclusively to finance green projects. In the union budget, the government announced its intention to promote green bonds with a view to support investments in the climate-friendly projects. It is still to kick off in India in a big way against what it is in the US and China right now. Uh, with most of the countries stepping up their efforts to reduce carbon emissions, the market for green bonds is zooming. According to Climate Bonds Initiative, the annual issuance could hit $1 trillion in 2023. Now, a higher demand for green bonds equals low cost of money, which means that reduced spending is happening for businesses. These savings are passed on to the investors in the form of a dividend or used to lower the cost of funds, thus increasing the profitability. In the 11 months of 2021, India issued over $6 billion of green bonds. Companies right. with strengthened balance sheets are able to get good response from the market. Like we have Greenco, we have Adani, which has done that. We have Reliance Industries. So these companies have big projects, strengthened balance sheets. So for them, it's easier to raise funding through green bonds. A lot of small companies uh, who do not have huge balance sheets and the support of internal accruals find it difficult to raise funding. So that is where banks step in and debt funding is made available to these companies. Let me ask our banker guest, Mr. Kumar, on how banks are funding green investments. Without doubt, it is by far one of the largest sectors where CapEx is happening in India, right? And the amount of investment that's going in and the potential that it has, we of course see it as a very attractive market from just the sheer volume of funding that the sector needs. There are a lot of sort of positive things in the sector, but I think the one of the biggest risks that we worry about and uh, 
I'd say a lot of uh, renewable players are suffering from is really the exposure to the discoms, right? Uh, many of the discoms in India don't enjoy best of financial health. And many of the renewable companies, unfortunately, have very large receivables that are due from the discoms. So I think that side of the overall ecosystem uh, needs to be corrected. Discoms or distribution companies are the last mile link in getting power to the consumer and collect the bill from them. And the poor condition and indebtedness of the discoms is the Achilles heel of India's power story. I think I would give credit to the central government to be able to try and bypass that to some extent by bringing in uh, SECI, NTPC, etc. to be the counterparty, but you can't really insulate the whole sector from that risk. So that, I would think, is the biggest risk or constraining factor if we can address that. Uh, I think we will see several billions of dollars sort of more flowing into the sector. From a policy measure perspective, put certainly uh, something that government could look into. I know there's sort of a state subject, there's central subject, but we can kind of create some tools to make sure states are able to, to honor their commitment and center to able to sort of force those obligations on them to really meet the overall targets that uh, RPM has uh, laid out at COP26. That's interesting. So given that there are a plethora of investment opportunities out there for lenders to fund, why would lenders consider a riskier area like green financing? I asked Mr. Mukherjee, how did green financing appear to the financiers given the risks involved, the long gestation periods, and of course the ever-changing technology? Why is climate financing important at the very heart of it? It is because we have to safeguard our long-term infrastructure, our, our agricultural projects, because they are exposed to climate risk. But if you look at the, the long-term capital that is flowing in into these kind of traditional investments, those are not factoring in the climate-related risks. So therefore, the climate side of investment continues to be seen as more risky. They will increase the risk exposure of the balance sheet of the lenders and the banks which are moving towards it. Till now, a lot of the funds and, and investments that has gone in is on the power generation side. And if I look at the government expenditure in green finance itself, close to 70 to 80% has been towards generation. The balance spread across either transportation or transmission and efficiency. Similarly, if you look at the transportation and production side, you will have a similar story where there is a lot to be done. But to be able to really create that in a holistic way so that you're collectively moving towards achieving net zero targets, you'll have to then create that ecosystem so that funds are moving not just in one direction where possibly the, the information or the history is more important, but it has to be channeled across the different spaces. He also had a word of caution for the green bonds. Is green bond the one magical answer? Possibly not. Even if I look at green bonds, not just in India and globally, it continues to be a small part of the entire bond market. So while we have started the green bond, we have uh, close to about $600 billion, $600 million uh, financing of such projects through green bond, but it's still less than 1% of the total bonds issued in India. So there is path still has to be traversed. For example, the cost, the cost of green bonds is still on the higher side, which makes it a little restricted to PSUs or private organizations with strong financials. 
So yes, green bond is is a promising instrument. Even across the world in Europe, we are looking at two hundred to three hundred billion dollar in green bonds. US is possibly higher. So we should borrow a lot from those structures, expand our pool of green bonds as one source. But like I said, in terms of the deficit that will still remain to achieve our net zero, green bonds will need to be one of the instruments to move forward. Well, are there any other challenges to India's sustainability story? Mr. Kumar highlighted these. Of course, several other things that we need to do. Some on the technological side, accessing technology globally to be able to make investments into storage, to make investment into green hydrogen, creating sort of charging infrastructure to again promote you know usage of uh, renewable energy or electric vehicles, etc. Some of those are sort of other steps that uh, eventually the industry, government all has to take to really unleash the potential that we have. India is a huge market, so it will continue to consume a lot of energy going forward as we keep moving up uh, on our, our economic growth cycle. Mr. Mukherjee also pointed out the areas that needed improvement. We work a lot with corporates, for example, who have to drive a lot of these investments energy companies, hydrocarbon companies who are looking to move into renewable energy and looking to make investments, but they will need the right framework. So whether it is uh, carbon pricing, whether uh, it is uh, you know, looking at ability to raise, raise capital at a certain cost for, this, uh, for the green investments, whether uh, it is norms on the external borrowing, you'll have to then facilitate the ecosystem to do that. In terms of regulatory, we have talked a lot about carbon rating versus credit rating coming in. Uh, right now, while ESG ratings are available, they are too broad and don't really work for uh, climate. Similarly, there is a lot of funds which is waiting to come in for long tenure, capital flow through the insurance and pension funds, which will require, again, uh, different measures to, to be built in. Even in terms of the risk weights that we use for lending, are not really very favorable for many of the green investments which have to come in. Uh, similarly, on the market side, uh, where we are, we are looking at GHG emissions across entities. Right now, there is not a very clear platform which can allow you to have transparent data on GHG. Uh, similarly, on the governance and board side, we have to build measures. So, international financing. Of course, that's going to be a big part of the answer. Uh, but again, that's something that collectively developing countries and developed countries are trying to, trying to figure out. So, all of these have to fire together. So, given these challenges, what keeps the investors interested in this space? Kalpana shared some really important insights. All countries, including India, are looking at a net zero goal and that is accentuated in the light of climate change and the pandemic. So for everyone, net zero has become important. And India is one of the countries which has gone ahead and announced its 2017 net zero goal. Which, and for that, all, most of the companies are working in that direction. So it becomes very attractive for a lot of fund managers and a lot of funds, pension funds and uh, PVCs to look at that segment. So when we speak to the investors, they say that there's no dearth of funding for the sector. It is the good projects that they're looking at right now. So going forward, the sector will obviously attract more and more funding. And there is bright future for renewables because according to investors and uh, fund managers, fossil fuel has a three-decade story remaining. 30 years probably is what they are looking at. And beyond that, we have renewables. In fact, we have renewables right now. 
So this is a growth story that they're looking at. Right now, it's a small segment, but going forward, it's going to get bigger and bigger is what the industry believes. That's why the funding flow is quite smooth towards the renewable segment. India has a target of 450 gigawatts to achieve in the next eight years. So of this, 60% will come from solar is what is expected. So obviously, solar is something that investors are bullish on. And it's easier for uh, companies to, you know, solar doesn't have this issue of land per se, like wind power has, you need land to set up windmills. Huge solar can be rooftop, solar can be on water, solar can be on land. It can be across. Plus, there's also this fact of India being abundant in solar energy. So looking at that, solar is something that uh, most investors are excited about. Big corporates are taking big bets in this space. Here's what Mr. Kumar and Mr. Mukherjee had to say on this emerging trend. It's interesting to observe that most of the renewable generation capacity in India is really being support, you know, created by first generation entrepreneurs, supported by global institutions. It's kind of one sector where, by and large, Indian large corporates didn't really take as much, with the exception of maybe Tata's earlier and now more recently Adani's. It's it's heartening to see that global institutions, as I said, sovereign wealth funds, pension funds, infrastructure funds, etc., were the first ones to really invest in this sector in a big way and took the risk and uh, have managed to create significant amount of capacity. These big bets that have to be taken by corporates and corporates are, at the end of the day, responsible to, to their shareholders. So therefore, we have to create the environment, the structures available for corporates to be able to take these big bets. And of course, path breakers, the names that you spoke about, these large corporates, it, it is putting a lot of it depends on scale. Why is there more investments going up the solar today than, uh, let's say, green hydrogen is because there is a certain scale available. There are certain projects available. There is a greater understanding of the technology at the supply chain, at the, at the IRRs of those projects. With scale comes more capital. So as these big corporates take the bets, green hydrogen is now the big buzzword everywhere. As we start looking at these largest, large uh, installations, large capacities that are getting built on green hydrogen, whether it is on the electrolyzer side or it is on the generation transmission side, more funds will flow because there will be that much more data available for, for projects. There will be more clarity in terms of what support is needed, whether it is needed as a part of, an, I think, uh, promote to trust for that. Even on green hydrogen, uh, should we have, how do you create the policy incentives for us to become self-reliant in the electrolyzer setup rather than being importers? So absolutely, I think these big bets are important. I think as an ecosystem, we need to do more to see how can we unlock the power of the large corporates, the large entities that we have to be able to take these bets at an even more wider level? Because the intent is there. We have to facilitate the intent into action. India's sustainability journey is incomplete without evaluating the government's role in it. All three of our guests have acknowledged the important role that the government has played. But... As always, there is scope for improvement. In order to boost domestic manufacturing and cut down on import bills, the government this March introduced the Production Linked Incentive Scheme, 
that aims to give companies incentives on incremental sales from products manufactured at domestic units. Apart from inviting foreign companies to set shop in India, this particular scheme, which is also known as PLI scheme, aims to encourage local companies to set up or expand existing manufacturing units. So far, around 18 companies with a cumulative capacity of over 54 gigawatt have applied for the scheme, even when the government has a capacity of 10 gigawatt. Now, these include the Reliance Industries, Tata Power, Adani, etc. Manufacturing companies also import wafers or cells from abroad, mainly China again, and then assemble them into cells and modules respectively. So to prevent the industries dependent on China, the government has also constituted a basic custom duty tax on solar imports. It will be charged at 25% for cells and 40% for modules and will be applicable from this month onwards. So these are the incentives and measures that the government is taking to promote the solar power segment in India. I personally sort of feel we should give a lot of credit here to this government to be able to really create the right ecosystem to see such several billions of dollars of capital grown in, right? The whole transparent bidding mechanism, long-term PPAs, creating a good sort of framework, allowing 100% foreign investment, uh, using within its power just renewable power obligations on the state discounts, uh, fiscal incentives, etc. I think what we could expect government to do is continue to actually take a long-term view and make sure that whatever needs to be done to enable industry to put more investment into this sector and also address some of the problems or challenges that one is facing, whether it's really creating local manufacturing capacity, ensuring that our logistics infrastructure is enable it, government doesn't need to invest in this, but just need to create environment for private sector to invest to make sure we can do that. Ensuring uh, contracts are honored, uh, we can't let things like existing contracts that have been won sort of in a you know fairly transparent bidding way to be not honored, and several hundred million dollars of receivables pile up, and companies sort of going close to bankruptcies. Uh, we cannot allow that. Whenever the government has put its weight behind a certain clarity, the outcomes have been very good. And to take there even the example of renewable energy generation on the back of institutions like SCCI and uh, IREDA, uh, along with the push by the PSUs, the results are here to be seen. If I was to take a, like a step forward saying, what can we do more differently given this deep targets we have set for ourselves. I think there are two points I can make. One is that the, the CPACs, the PSUs that, are, that the government works with, they can provide a significant amount of scale to many of these emerging technologies which are emerging areas we are talking about. Uh, one element which possibly is something that is getting, that is gaining scale many places in the world and we feel that's an idea possibly whose time has come is one of carbon pricing. I think that has a potential to unlock and create a common currency for many of these investments. So carbon pricing is an approach to reduce carbon emissions, also referred to as greenhouse gas emissions. 
This mechanism uses market forces to pass the cost of emitting on to the emitters. It is based on the simple principle of polluter pays. Carbon pricing can take different forms and shapes such as a carbon tax or as emissions trading systems that allow businesses with low emissions to sell their extra allowances to large emitters. At this point in time, many corporates in India are using some form of that uh, shadow pricing, internal carbon pricing. I think an, an institutional framework towards creating a, a more lucid, transparent carbon pricing market which works for India to be able to navigate this journey and facilitate a lot of the funds going into the right areas in a balanced manner. In this developing story of ESG, India is definitely doing better on the E, environment, than it is on the S, social and G, governance. Its government and biggest corporates have taken aggressively to clean energy and they are backing it with firm plans, policies and PESA. Investors and banks are impressed, but cautious. Any form of lending eventually boils down to a risk-reward ratio, which means lenders have to manage the size of the loan book while maintaining its quality. So they will back companies that are known to do what they say. Plans for a better and more sustainable world need to be on ground rather than just in the air. Also remember, India is a massive consumer of energy. Other countries talk about transitioning from fossil fuels to cleaner energy. But India can at best add sources of cleaner energy to the traditional ones. And so, the single most important area to work on is the creation of right incentives and structures for companies and their lenders so they can put their collective might behind opportunities that may be risky but are critical. You have been listening to Funding India's Green Ambitions on The Morning Brief with me, Kiran Somanshi. Thank you, Mr. Mukherjee, Mr. Kumar and Kalpna. Really appreciate your participation and the insights that you all shared. This episode was produced by Surbhi Modi from ET and Varun Kapahi from Awas. Sound editor Swati Joshi from Awas and Indranil Bhattacharji from The Economic Times. We hope you like this episode. Do share it on your social media networks. The Morning Brief drops every Tuesday, Thursday and Friday. Have an amazing week ahead. All clips used in this episode belong to the respective owners Credits are mentioned in the description.